Financial residency podcasts are brought to you this week by weatherbyhealthcare.com. Just as the right advice helps you thrive financially, the right support team allows you to excel professionally. Weatherby Healthcare's locums experts will match you with the best jobs, prepare you for success, and provide 24-7 support. The bottom line is that working locums with Weatherby helps you earn more money and take better control of your career. If that sounds like music to your ears, head over to weatherbyhealthcare.com payday to get started. Jeff, what's up? We get to meet again and uh, chat about some fun personal finance stuff. You excited? Absolutely. Chatting about personal finance is my passion. He's not lying. He's serious. I love it too. We definitely like to geek out on this kind of stuff. We talked last time about getting your ducks in a row with PSLF. We'll switch gears a little bit. The question that we had come up was, when is it a good time to think about hiring a financial planner? If we're thinking about someone maybe that's never worked with a financial planner before, what, when should you be thinking about potentially hiring that sort of help? I don't want to maybe head trash that's out there that says, I don't know if I'm the right fit for this. And, you know, questions of, am I just too simple for working with a financial planner? Is there enough here to get any value out of? Or am I too complicated? And the other big one is, I haven't even saved up anything yet. Do I have enough money to? For a financial planner to help. I think that kind of starts when you're looking at that question of when am I ready to work with a financial planner? It's one of those things that normal to think about is a financial planner, we think of using money, right? Finances. And so if I don't have any finances, then I'm not ready for a financial planner. Right. What I guess maybe what are a few people that you've seen or a few cases that are good, a good time to start working with financial planners? Yeah, I think part of it is situational or preference. Going back to talking about not having finances and thinking it's not worthwhile to seek out help, I would argue that um, if you want help, the sooner the better. Because really, where do you, I guess the question is, where do people get their ultimate wealth? And I think the answer is, in most cases, I mean, from their income, every once in a while, people inherit money. But a lot of times, people, at least the people we're working with, oftentimes are accumulating their wealth from their income. And so that's like human capital would be what the term, terminology would be like, how much you're going to make from now until you stop working. That, in my experience, is where the big impact decisions really happen. And a lot of times you set the tone on the front end with that. So, so a lot of the habits you set early on in starting to earn money is going to dictate how much wealth you ultimately have when you're older and you know maybe retired. And so there's a little bit of, I think, this, this mentality that it's like, I'm, I probably need help when I have all the wealth. But I think, because we have worked with people with plenty of wealth um, and we've worked with people early on. I think the people early on, it feels, at least for me, I don't know what your experience has been. Both of us are financial planners have been doing it for a while. I enjoy working with the young people the most because there's impact, like there's much bigger impact in that early, you know, early stage, like early career decisions, setting those foundational habits versus the people that are older and already have the wealth. I mean, they've already done a lot of the hard work. Has that been your experience, Jeff? Yeah, I think you kind of, what you kind of bring up there is there are different kind of life transitions that kind of lend themselves to extra planning topics too. And one of those is, you know, I'm going from being in training to 
getting my first, you know, real, a lot of people call it my first big boy or big girl job. I've had a lot of residents say that to me, transitioning into attending hood. But, you know, I, they say, I want to get this right from the beginning so that I can build a foundation that's flexible later. And I think that's one, one time that it makes a lot of sense to engage somebody that has just seen a lot of this, um, that, it, that understands all the types of plans that are out there, at least getting things mm -hmm. set up from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. I think also you have to be ready or maybe willing to seek help. Some of us, I've been this person plenty of times in my past, are not ready or willing to get help for certain things. Like, for example, this morning, I had a note on my kitchen counter from my wife because I wake up really early and she's like, please fix dishwasher. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. So at first I'm like, I'm not really willing or ready to pay somebody to come fix my dishwasher because I just want to figure this thing out myself. And so I started fiddling with it and spent about 30 minutes. It was the drainage issue or something. And after 30 minutes, I was getting nowhere and had tried like three things. And it got to the point where I was going to have to like do something like start Googling or YouTube. I don't know. And so I threw in the towel. I'm like, this is, I am now willing and ready to go find somebody that knows what they're doing and pay them a fair wage to help me work through this issue. So sometimes I never get there with things. Sometimes people have different styles too. Like some of us are like hyper DIYers and some of us are like complete outsourcers. Like my brother-in-law, for instance, he would have never even touched the dishwasher. He wouldn't even opened it to kind of look in the bottom. He would have called somebody instantaneously versus other types would be like spending 10 hours trying to figure it out or not stop until they get it done themselves. Um, so that plays into it as well. Like what's, what type of person are you? Do you lean towards seeking help? Are you ready to pay for good help? And if so, you know, maybe that's the right time in itself. Yeah. I think maybe what we should get into a little bit is that there are different types of financial planning relationships out there. Yeah. You probably think of one thing, you know, when you think of financial planning in your head and usually it involves investing, right? That, that, that's the kind of what every time I tell someone I'm a financial planner, they ask me about the local bank stock. Oh, really? He lives or, in a small town. So yeah, local bank stock or early on in the pandemic was, Hey, I think there's going to be a lot of shipping out there. Do you know any good cardboard companies that I could invest in Jeff? <laughs> I was but, riding, I was walking yesterday and I ran into neighbor and he's like, you're in finance, right? And I'm like, and that's always a poor start, but he's like, I just got into doing options trading. What do you think? And I'm like, it's a little crazy, you know, but that was the conversation was going that direction is individual securities, trading stocks, options. But I guess you, you might have an idea in your mind of what it looks like to work with a financial planner, but you know, there are different options out there, right? Like with your plumbing issue and with the dishwasher, probably have a couple of different options there. You can do it all yourself, which you mentioned, you could kind of really dive into Google and YouTube, there's probably a video there. It might be close to your dishwasher and you might be able to fix it. You can call somebody that's going to help out for a while, get things set up and kind of on track and kind of learn from them and then maintain things yourself. Like, are you going to continue to have this person come out on an annual basis and say, Hey, take a look at my dishwasher, you know, three times a year, whether, you know, whether it's it seems to be operating okay or not, or you might have that type of kind of maintenance schedule, right? Like I found with my air conditioning and heating systems that it, it makes a lot of sense to have 
an annual, you know, kind of tune up. Yeah. And so I, going back to the investments thing, I think a lot of people think like I need to have a you know, sizable balance or whatever to be ready. But like how much of our time, I mean, in reality, we work with people with plenty of investments and then some people with none, but like we're financial planners. How much of your time, Jeff, is spent actually talking or digging into investments? I it, It's a small amount overall. Yeah, I would say less than 25% competently for me. And I would guess it's... That sounds high. Yeah, it's definitely on the high end. We don't do... I mean, most of our time is not spent on investments. There's just not that much... I mean, that's the least uh, value add, not the least, it's on the low end of the value add totem pole, I guess, for what we do. A lot of what people, you know, need or want help in a day-to-day basis is like the, you know, just getting stuff done. That for one thing, is just like getting stuff done. So going back to the air conditioning example, like, you know, changing your air filter, <laughs> that's one of those things that's like, little and annoying and but you know you need to do it and it's kind of repetitive that's like there's a lot of tasks that we do that are like that and part of what we do is just help people get stuff done that they know they need to do but probably they mean they just are annoyed to do it or don't really want to do it or have trouble getting around to it we're helping you know like we look at their tax return most people it's interesting how many people for example just give their accountant their their pile of stuff or they input it in TurboTax and they never actually look at the tax return itself. We're financial planners. Jeff probably doesn't understand this. I mean, I've always looked at my tax return and I like scour through it and look for inefficiencies, but most, a lot of people don't. And so, you know, we're as financial planners, like looking at tax returns probably more than we are investments and the details with those. I think that's probably a good clarification too, is because we do deal a lot with the tax side and implications of how these investments work, I guess, you know, whether it's a retirement plan or wherever they're at. Yeah. So that, I guess, kind of coming back to that, let's keep talking about air conditioning. It's summer here. I know. It's in the nineties with 90% humidity in my area recently. Yep. And we turned on the air conditioning. We, for whatever reason, we pride ourselves in not turning on air conditioning in my community. It's like, yeah, it's August and my neighbors tell me that they only had their air conditioning on once. And I'm like, oh yeah, we had a few more days, but you know, I've got kids, so it has to be. On. Ours is on like all day, every day, it seems like. But the air conditioning, right? Like you, you talked about the maintenance things that go into that, the changing the filter real, you know, does your air conditioning still work if you don't change the filter? Eventually it doesn't. I've, I've I learned. <laughs> So eventually, you know, it may really get gummed up and kind of grind to a halt. But yeah, I mean, it, you could probably go a good while without yeah. changing your filter and your house still gets cooled down. It's not. You might a, catch a disease from the fungus or whatever. That. Yeah, well, don't go live at Daniel's house then. But yeah, I d- <laughs> I've had some HVAC guys tell me some horror stories. But. Yeah. I mean, so it still cools down. It still does its job. It's just not as efficient and maybe it costs a little more in the, uh, in the drag on energy efficiency, right? You're paying more mm-hmm. in, in electricity each month because of it, but you know, kind of that's where taking some of these steps, even as you're building and, and starting off and growing wealth would be, you know, like, 
a lot of times there's the argument out there, the backdoor Roth IRA, is it worth my time to do it or whatnot? It's one of those little efficiency things that it's going to save on taxes as you go. Yeah. But you know, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world if you don't ever do it. That's my favorite phrase. It's not the worst thing in the world. Right. But it's pretty stinking bad. But it's not good either. Right. No, that's a good example. Backdoor Roth IRA. So backdoor Roth IRA is it's kind of it's such a good example because it involves all the different facets of what we do. It involves doing something that's kind of like admin minutia, you know, just monotonous. Like there's a lot of like tasks that you have to do to get it done that are kind of not so exciting and very admin, like, you know, check in the check boxes type stuff. So that's one component of it. But then there's also this like technical component of it. And then on top of it, it can get a little confusing. It's just not very straightforward. So I see people struggle with different aspects of that in different occasions. And so going back to the original question, like getting into what we're talking about now, like some of these things, like if you're, if if you are not getting around to something like a backdoor Roth IRA, that adds up to a lot of money. Like there's, you know, I would argue it's like two grand a year per individual. I think that's a safe value metric to put on the value add of a Roth for the typical physician in practice, you know, worth in the 1500 to 2500 a year range, let's just say 2000 a year tax value range. Uh, Consult your tax advisor for specific tax advice. I'm throwing out tax numbers. But like, I think it's worth a lot of money, basically. And that's for an individual. When you have a couple, it's, you know, double those numbers. And so you want to get them done, ideally, if you're, if you're, in the right situation. And it's a very good tax shelter to, to knock out. So if you're not getting around to it, or, or maybe you're unsure if it's getting done correctly, or the complexity is, you know, intimidating, or you're not looking at your tax return to verify that it was done correctly. Those are good. If those are not happening, those are good reasons to be thinking about hiring a financial planner because or if you're just tired of dealing with it because we're just gonna like make sure it happens or do it for you really like we're gonna like take that kind of thing off your plate but it's not for everybody on the other hand if you're like i got it like i got my checklist i have my calendar marked i know exactly where it's going i check the check boxes it gets done i review the tax return make sure it gets done correctly in fact i do my own tax return i have 100 confidence it gets done correctly then like you, you're probably, I mean, you may not need to hire a financial planner in that specific area, especially unless you just want to. So that's just one little piece of the puzzle of what we do. I think organization is another big thing. Some people struggle with finances. It's just keeping it all organized. So I think of, I was working on this earlier today. I think this client is fairly organized in general, but like they just have a hard time keeping their finances. They have a lot going on. So they didn't know exactly what their beneficiary designations were on their retirement plans. So we were going into their retirement accounts and verifying their contingent beneficiaries and making sure it lines up with their estate plan. So that's like a small, you know, kind of organizational planning sort of a thing but can have huge impacts if not addressed that is very easy to overlook. And so if those kinds of things are falling through the cracks, maybe that's time to think about hiring help. Yeah, so 
what are the different ways that you could engage with a financial planner? Yeah. So really there's so many different ways. That wasn't uh, fair. Yeah. There's no, that's one of the, I guess that's a benefit of our profession. It's also a problem within our profession. Like there's so many, like the majority of financial planners, you kind of engage with them as like a salesperson. That's not how we work in our flavor of financial planning in our business. But like, I don't know, what do you think, Jeff? Like 90% of the industry has like a, or maybe 95% of the industry has some sales component for what they do. So you're engaging with them as a salesperson, you know, to kind of provide you, help you to purchase a financial product. So that's one way to work with a financial planner is just in a product purchasing engagement where they're earning a commission to kind of sell it to you essentially. I argue that you shouldn't be able to call yourself a financial planner or advisor if you're working in that capacity, but the regulators have not come on board with that idea yet. Now, so that's one way. I think you're biased about that though, Dave. I am very biased. But how do you tell if you're in that type of a relationship or Great question. How, do you, how do you tell if it's somebody that's paid on commission or It's impossible. They're selling stuff. <laughs> it's very it's difficult. Not, it's not impossible. How do you I mean, do it? It's very difficult. You know, maybe telltale signs. Telltale signs. They have, I mean, the easiest one is they're not charging you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's almost always a, I mean, I would be shocked if there was an engagement where you're getting free financial advice. Like that's what people say, but that's not correct. It's like really what's happening is they say they're giving you free financial advice, but in reality, they're selling you stuff. So what I'm not saying the stuff's bad or good. It's just, that's a, a sign. Another symptom would be they went out, they sought you out. We were talking about referrals the other day, Jeff and I. Financial advisors are notorious for being like, you're in a meeting with them, you're like, and they're like, hey, who are your five closest friends and what are their cell phone numbers so that I can call them and harass them about hiring me? That's a sales Is that what approach. they say? They say exactly what they say. No, I used to be that guy. So I know what they say that they use much cleaner language and make it sound really, but it's still aggressive. It's very, they are aggressive and try to get connected and go and call those other people and solicit them and try to get their business. That approach is very, it's a sales model, you know, it's aggressive and soliciting. Um, so if you kind of got into contact with your person that way, odds are they're a salesperson. Versus if they're in a non-sales setup, usually they, you know, like we don't do that in our business. We don't go after people reach out to us. And then I guess you could just ask them, but I don't trust our industry in general. We're so, you know, I don't, well, it's not just a trust thing. It's just, we use lots of terminology, so it gets confusing. So it would be easy to say like, you know, yes, I'm providing advice and that'd be the truth, but also selling you products. But do you have a like concrete, easier way to verify that, Jeff? Because I'm not thinking of any. Yeah, I, about verifying it, it's tough. Because like you said, yeah. even if you ask, there's usually some kind of a spin that says, hey, this is a great thing, right? How um, about you just email us what's happening and we'll tell you. And we can look up <laughs> the firm. But, like, yeah. tell us the firm name, the business's name. And what's going on, and we can tell you if it's you know a sales operation, at least in some component. Yeah, I'd say red flag would be if it seems like it's free advice. If it seems like there's no no 
component to it that you're paying for that it's a red flag anyway to look at. Yeah, if they talk about insurance a lot and it's a red flag, insurance, particularly um, permanent life insurance. Yeah, and that's a whole nother soapbox. But not that all insurance is bad, very useful. But if it if they sell insurance, that's a potential flag there that there's just a conflict. Yeah. And that is not, so just to clarify, like, I don't think that's necessarily bad. What I get frustrated about in our industry and part of where I'm going to bash our industry is about the misleading aspect. So if you're a salesperson, like say you're a salesperson and I think that's fine. But when you say I'm an advice provider and then you like backdoor sales, I think that's where the issue is. So you can work with a salesperson. You, in some cases, need to work with a salesperson. But as a know when you're working with a salesperson, I think is the key. How about a more positive note? What's a better, I mean, again, I think we're going to be a little biased in this because we already yeah. subscribe to this type of idea. But what's a better way to engage a financial planner? Well, I think a better way is to pay for it. And Yeah. but it's funny when we talk to some people they're like you mean i have to pay for it and i think when that happens it's usually a person that has worked with a free and air quotes financial advisor but uh, yeah i mean if you're paying for advice i think that's the best way to work with somebody it's fee for service and there's a bunch of different ways to work with a fee for service advice provider But I think the first thing is you want to pay for it. And ideally, you're only paying them fees and not having any of that sales component. I think that minimizes conflicts. And so I guess in that model where you're paying a financial advisor, are there, do you have to work with one forever? Does it make sense to be ongoing and last for a long time? Or do I need for help forever? Let's say I came to that decision that, yes, I would like to work with a financial planner. Now what? Am I? Yep. You always need help for it. No, just it's flexible. I think that's a misconception. In reality, you, it depends on, well, if they're required, if the financial advisor is requiring you to work with them forever, first of all, that's a red flag. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. So that's a problem. I guess there's probably some people out there that lock people in like that, but in reality, like, no, you don't have to get married to your advisor. You can, and you can switch every year. You can have one for a year and then peace out and then get one another, you know, three years later. And there's no, you know, no lock-ins. There shouldn't be lock-ins. In fact, we try to make it as flex in our specific setup. We try to make it as flexible as possible where there's, you know, if you don't want to work with a financial planner, you know, no problem. It's all good. But yeah, it's definitely shouldn't be locked in. I guess as I go back to our experiences with, you know, fixing up household items, the dishwasher yeah. and the air conditioner. You know, it's like, I mean, you could work with that, a repairman, right? For your dishwasher mm-hmm. for a day or, you know, just to get things sorted out. Yep. And then, you know, you, there's probably maintenance that you should do. I don't have a dishwasher. That's one of our, one of the, what big, I know it's contentious in my that. marriage. Hopefully yeah, we are. And he has three kids. Yeah. We are, we are looking at a kitchen remodel that will require a dishwasher here in the next uh, wow. few months. But That'll be life-changing. Yeah, we had one for about a year when we lived in our apartment 10 years ago, and it was just the yeah. two of us. But yeah. Oh, we are getting way off track now, though. I know, dishwasher. 
But yeah, so I, my assumption here though is that ideally you're doing a little bit of maintenance on that, you know, throughout the year. At least there are things that you do to, you know, keep the drain clear. Right. You know, I, I know like, you know, like don't, don't put junk in the dishwasher. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, do I have stories from our one year of having a dishwasher yeah. though? We also didn't have a garbage disposal and we put celery down that. That's not a good idea. That, that makes a fountain of celery, by the way. So <laughs> yeah. follow us for more home tips. But yeah, we are not home experts. We are financial experts. So we're getting into our, not our area. Yeah. So there's a reason to make sure that there's some expertise in the person to work with. But back to the whole idea here is that, you know, you can get things sorted out and have a, you know, somebody, an expert that comes in and looks at things and gets them, you know, on the right track. And then you kind of take over from there. Once you feel comfortable that things are on mm. the right track, you know, I can, I might have a harder time fixing my dishwasher or, you know, I'm looking out at my grass right now and it's gets sadder and sadder every year. I can probably maintain the grass, but I might be able to use somebody to help me plant it the first time landscape. Mm. Um, and so if that's, you know, that could be one way of working with financial advisor, let's sit down and, yeah. and have a kind of one time or several months or several, just a year long relationship and then take it over from there. That'd be kind of like a transactional, like kind of one time yeah, or your ducks in a row. Yeah. Or you can, you know, have kind of the maintenance plan that goes along with it. Where mm. if you are like me and forgetting to do your shower drains, you know, if you're not cleaning those out, they back up because you're in an old house, a classic house. Classic. Yeah. And but, I think the uh, kind of the ongoing maintenance thing um, is hard to know sometimes if you want something like that versus just kind of a one-time deal and like you're it's okay to not know either because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of people I, I well i mean i i don't know but a lot of times when i'm going to hire somebody for something i'm like i don't tell me what the differences are and that's okay people ask that of us all the time the different service models but i think the ongoing thing is money is kind of personal or very personal for some and so it's something i don't think a lot of people are jazzed about having to switch financial planners or advisors like every year it's kind of like your physician like i don't particularly enjoy having an initial consult with a new primary care provider like i've switched general practitioners a few times like my primary doctor few times, but it's not like my favorite thing in the world to do. And so ideally, like I personally, I've gone the direction for me, like of a concierge sort of, you know, ongoing maintenance sort of setup for my healthcare provider, just because I want to keep the same person and I want more kind of hands-on attention, but everybody's different. That's the thing. That's what it comes down to. Anything else to add, Jeff? No, I think We've hit on a little bit about the, I guess, the ways you can work with a financial advisor. Yep. Are there any, back to the original question. Oh yeah. Did, was it when? <laughs> yeah. Are there any other times that uh, you, you would seek out help? I mean, you are a financial yeah. advisor, but I know, when do it's you see people seeking help. Yeah. I mean, usually it's situational, but you know, I think it's just, it doesn't hurt to ask someone like, you know, a financial planner, if it's time. A lot of people reach out to us and say, I'm not sure if it's the right time. 
And then we can kind of, we're not going to be able to say, yes, it's the right time or no, because we're like going to be biased towards yes. So usually in those conversations, I try to lay out like the pros and cons to give them more of, because what it comes down to is educating yourself and having the information, enough information to make it good. This is a difficult question to answer or impossible to answer for everyone because we just don't know what you have going on. So sometimes it just takes a one-on-one conversation with a potential financial planner and say, you know, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not sure of the timing. Like, here's what I got going on. What do you think? And then ideally they lay out the pros and cons and then kind of put you in a better spot. Other than that, I think I lean towards sooner the better, but of course that's what a financial planner is going to say. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm biased too. I think yeah. sooner the better, especially as you're starting. I mean, we're talking to a, a wonderful group of physicians here, right? Mm-hmm. You're starting into your career, or even if you've been in there for you know five, ten years, and you've kind of got things going yeah. and want to take a look at it. A good time to at least start the conversation. Again, it doesn't have to be a forever type of relationship. Are there any times that you can think of in a normal physician's kind of career stage that maybe it's not the right time? Yeah. I mean, the middle of residency when you are on a routine and there's not much changing, that's usually, unless you just have some specific things to talk about, that's usually not the best time just because there's not much going on and you don't have a lot of time, spare time to put into it. I think when you're not in a position to be able to dedicate the time, because working with a financial planner does require some time commitment on your end. And so if you have absolutely no spare time, it's not going to work. It's not a good time to talk to somebody. You have to be able to carve out some time to at least have conversations. And then if you're hyper, you know, doing a good job doing it yourself, I don't think you know, I don't think this applies in your situation either. I think that is one of the toughest questions I get is when somebody comes by that has done a good job. They've done a good job of saving. They've created a good amount of flexibility for themselves. And that is at that point, do you want somebody to kind of take a deep dive on things, look at more ways to optimize it from there? Or are you satisfied with, Hey, I, you know, I, maybe I've saved up three, four or 5 million and I'm you know, still 10 to 15 years away from retiring, do I, you know, do I want to go optimal or is good enough? Or, you know, what types of things should I be thinking about? I think that's probably one of the tougher areas to say, yeah, I think I probably could help you. We can probably optimize some things, but also is it worth the time? And do you have the time? Yeah. Or maybe you are completely optimized already, but you don't know for sure. I like, uh, I think the, my, favorite example of someone that does not need to work with a financial planner is white coat investor Jim Dolly. He was on the podcast several episodes back, but we were kind of talking about something similar, but he is a very much lean do it yourselfer and talks about per- personal finance all day long, every day. And like has his written financial plan and has worked with financial planners on like transactional kind of one-time engagements and has verified kind of his approach is working really well. That's a good example. He has talked to them though before and worked with them on occasional or one-time plans or whatever and has gotten that verification that he's doing a good job. But he is a very unique dude in that he's doing an excellent job. 
There's a lot of people that are doing great. I would say there's it's rare to see somebody knocking it out of the park that well. All right, Jeff. Well, good talking as always. And um, I'm going to go and uh, take some cough drops or something because I'm about to start hacking up along. But as always, enjoy chatting with you. Always a joy. Always a joy. If you're ready to start boosting your earning power with locums, head over to weatherbyhealthcare.com slash payday to learn more.